Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. Join me as we have a real life discussion on how to change your life by changing your thoughts. Remember, question everything, trust yourself, and find your truth. Welcome to the Create What You Speak podcast. This week, I'm really excited to be talking with Erhard Vogel about his book, A Dialogue with Death, The Teacher of Life, An Ancient Story for the Modern World. This topic of everything Erhard and I are going to talk about today, we just, we taught, we're talking briefly before the show. Um, you know, I say this I, almost every week on this show about offering different perspectives, offering different ideas, offering different solutions. I don't want to, I don't come into this show. Um, well, it's not my intention anyway, to come into the show talking at everyone. I want to come to the show with information that is, um, helps find solutions and then those solutions leading you to the right action. So Erhard and I, just briefly from our our intro conversation. I know this is going to be an exciting and lively um, conversation this week. So let me tell you a little bit more about Erhard and then we'll get started. Erhard Vogel is recognized as one of the foremost meditation and self-realization teachers in the world. Born in war-torn Germany, Dr. Vogel immigrated to the United States at age 14. He graduated from the Pratt Institute of Design in New York and at an early age rose to a respected position in a world-renowned architectural firm. At 31, he set aside a brilliant career in architecture to devote himself to the service of humanity. For four years, Erhard traveled the globe on foot, researching the ways in which people of different cultures seek fulfillment. He saw the underlying need in everyone to fulfill their potential. In India, Erhard met two of the world's most renowned luminous masters who welcomed him into their midst and invited him to teach among the Himalayan sages, a rare distinction for a Westerner. He lived for an extended period of time in a Himalayan cave in a remote sacred area. After that, Erhard returned home to address the problems and aspirations of our contemporary society with his teachings. Following this, Erhard founded the Nataraja Yoga Ashram, a not-for-profit organization in San Diego. Erhard's teachings are a unique combination of time-tested wisdom and pragmatic method. His fundamental experiential and systematic approach is based upon sound psychological, physiological, and spiritual principles that make meditation and self-realization practical and attainable. Since 1969, Erhard has taught tens of thousands of students throughout the world. He continues to travel regularly to India and teach among the sages in the Himalayas, where he is recognized as a master teacher. He has authored four books, as well as numerous audio recordings of guided meditations and teachings. Erhard currently offers courses on-site and online through the Nataraja Meditation and Yoga Center in San Diego, California. Erhard, I am so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Well, thank you very much, Sloan. I I really look forward to this conversation because (laughs) I like the premise from which you come. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Um, So I know, you know, I told the audience about you, and I always like to ask, you, in your words, who is Erhard Vogel? <laughs> I am the being that we all share. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, by the way, I, the things that I, I talk about are, to, are fundamentally very simple, mm-hmm. but they're somewhat different from what most of us are accustomed to. Right. And I'd like to invite everyone to not merely listen, but participate in the experience of what we're talking about. Mm, Because only through experiencing something can you say, I know that. So if you just listen to me with your mind and just believe what I'm saying, you're wasting your time. I say to my students always, don't you ever believe a word that I say. (laughs) You need to know. And right. that's by experiencing. Right. So how can someone participate in the experience then? Because that's, that's a different way to think about it. And even for me, how can that's someone participate? Point. We need to be present. That mm-hmm. means our mind has to be with us. Like there's somebody in there, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that one, that the being that we really are. Our mind has to be present for that, not out in you know, oh, what I'm going to do later, or what she said to me, or this and that and this. The mind just flips around all over the place and often 
we are absent-minded, which yeah. means we're not present to ourselves. So the mind has to be present, it needs to be relaxed, and needs to be still. And that's easy. You can just, with one breath, get the mind to be with you, and you you cause it, you, you tell it to be still. Right. And, and just trust in being there for you and with you, and then absorb and reflect. You know, the mind is, a, is like a mirror. It's a reflector that brings to us, to our consciousness, whatever we are experiencing. Right. If the mind is not bring, bringing the reflection of what we're experiencing to us, it's giving it to all of the other extraneous, distractive stuff. Right. And where are we left then? We're left out. And often I think we, we don't think we have control over that, right? We think we have to be here and there. And, but we, right. just as you're saying, it, it's not a complicated thing to bring it all back home. Right. There are specific techniques that you can learn that make it happen. You, you're making a very important point here. It doesn't happen by itself. It doesn't happen by my just saying, oh, mind be still. Mind will give you all kinds of trouble. You just <laughs> mean that to your mind. Yeah. Right. But you need to know how to focus the mind. Right. So to be in a state of being focused and present to yourself with continuity and without distortion and distraction, that's the state we want. That is the state of being spontaneously present to ourselves. And, but it has to be the real self, not the fantasy self or the I ought to be self or the I don't know who that is self. Also, right. has to be the real self. Now, that can be learned through experience, how to do that and how to get to know the real self. It can be learned. Yeah. And then what we're talking about, you experience. Everything that we're talking about is about you. It's about the very essence of you. So you can experience. You, you can trust. You have the ability Right. to experience that, and then just to relax and enjoy flowing with the experience. And see what comes up with that too, right? When when we're right. open and free like that, um, we're able to hear hear more what, what's going on inside of us, right? We're able to recognize, we can feel into that rather than um, being in this reactive state of going here, then going there, like, you know, the mind, like you're saying, going all the constant time. arguments to whatever is said. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, what you're what you're saying is very true. It's it. What we're talking about will resound within you. Right. Well, you know this is true. You know. Yes, you'll so you'll know that I, you're feeling. When I say to you right now, you are right now. You are being right now. That's not complicated, is it? Right. It's true. Right. It's not evident. I can I can know through my own experience that I am. And to, to go back to the question I asked you, who is Erhard Vogel? And your answer was? That I am. <laughs> <laughs> that, that doesn't explain it yet, but it's the true answer. Right. And it's that, you know, <laughs> that's the simple answer too, right? Because the, you know, anybody else that, you know, that I've asked that question to, you know, we go through, I am the, the teacher. I am the, you know, I the mom. Right. I am the, you know, whatever, whatever I'm it is. I'm blonde, I'm rich, I'm poor. I'm angry, I'm sad, I'm depressed. All those are modifiers. They're not really what you are. They are something right. put on top of that. Right. What you are is the being that you are, that pure energy of being that you are mm -hmm. without having all that other stuff attached to it. Right. And when you get in touch with that being that you are, then you have a, a powerful central uh um, like a touchstone, right? Right. right. And everything is then related to the being that you are, thus to to the real you. The being you are that you are is the real you, not the false you, the fake you, like I said, the I ought to be, and so on. Right, right. In you know, when I was looking reading your your website and in the book and 
um, just your story about traveling the world and, and researching, you know, and, and doing this on foot and um, being invited into these different groups that are, you know, isn't necessarily common. Um, what was the catalyst for this? How did you get started on this journey? And, um, you know, how, I, I, get, I feel like these are all such big questions, but I'm really interested in, in this and how you how they, this got started for you. How do I give you an hour answer? <laughs> in, in five minutes, yeah, right. Um, I, got, I got really started on honing in about what I consider the most important thing is to have a relationship with the real being that I am mm -hmm. when I was five and a half years old. Mm, wow. And that was weird in some ways because, well, that doesn't usually happen with people. Right, right. But as you mentioned in the intro, I grew up in war-torn Germany, and we had gone through months and months of bombardments where the skies were just gray with planes dropping mm -hmm. bombs, and we hid out in, you know, in, in the forests, and when they came strafing us there, we hit, dug holes in the ground and put branches over them, hid out there, and then... You know, we that didn't work. And then we went back into our homes, which also didn't work because they would collapse upon us. Mm -hmm. you know? But so at this instant, we were in our home. And when the alarm sounded, we ran into the cellar, which was fortunately of a, a 16th century Capuchin monastery. Uh, building that we lived in, it wasn't okay. a monastery anymore. And so that's where our home was. We ran down in the cellar and the bombs were getting closer and closer. Then the house right next to us got hit and we knew we were going to be next. Mm -hmm. So we, under, we stood pressed, my family pressed under a stone arch and there was panic and there was crying and screaming and so on. And there was a room next to us. There were like 10 people sitting on benches and wailing and crying. And yeah, something. oh my gosh, yeah. And as a five and a half year old boy, I did not want the panic to take me over because I felt it how it wanted to rise from my stomach and my heart. Yes. And I didn't want that to take over. I decided that I wanted to be completely present when death hit. Um, which At five was, years old, oh my gosh. Yeah, which is, it's kind of weird. I thought about this afterwards, but more um, because I had seen, you know, bodies plastered against walls from the impact of bombs and so on as yeah. a little boy. So I wanted to be completely present when death hit so that I could experience myself in this state as the boy and whatever came next. I didn't have any idea, but there was, of course, the assumption that something would continue with me in whatever came next. Interesting. Where, where that came from, I still don't know. Right. I cannot explain it, but that's what happened. And so I made myself be stone cold, clear, present, like I was mentioning before. Yeah. Present. And... I wasn't involved in the panic. I wasn't involved in anything except readiness to go into the next realm. And then the bomb hit and the lights came on from the bomb, but also from having been so extremely purely focused, the inner light came on. And the, the inner light was, and I was so involved in it. I, I did not label it or speak right. it to myself or so, but it was just there. Then we survived. And the, the people in the, the 10, 12 people in the room next to us were all dead. Mm. So then we came upstairs and our house was destroyed. The bomb had hit it. And at least one half of it was the roof. Mm -hmm. And then our upper rooms and so on were all destroyed. We came outside and I was like surreal, you know, it was almost like yeah. floating, like I wasn't in the, in the common world experience yet, you know? Right. But I noticed, oh, there's a bird in the tree, and the tree is like empty of leaves. But there's a bird. How did it survive? 
Then right. also our laundry online and was was completely shredded by shrapnel, and I got uh, kind of out, outraged by that. <laughs> How could yeah. we do that to our laundry? <laughs> right. So I noticed that these distractions, these things, were distractions that tended to bring me out of that pure, clear state, which I now felt was just a state of being. Mm-hmm. simply directly purely being uncomplicated but absolutely real and so these distractions pulled my mind to them and pulled me out of that state little by little and i determined then that i'm going to dedicate myself even if it had to be the rest of my life to be in that state Oh my God, that is an amazing story. Well, then I began focusing the mind, you know, to be present. And I put myself through disciplines. I would spend hours a day getting my mind to be focused on a point. And I created techniques for myself that would work because I could see this works, this doesn't work. Right, you can feel that. Yeah, and so I had to get stuff that was guaranteed to work because this was the most important thing in my whole life. Not what I did, not all the distractions, but to experience being me, you know? That's how I got started and I spent the rest of my life on it. And eventually, you know, when I came to the Himalayas and met these two luminous sages, they were amazed that I knew all of this and had all of these techniques because they got it from the scriptures, like the Upanishad, the ancient mm-hmm. seers' writings. And, but they were fascinated by my ways and had me teach among them because of that. Yeah. And that doesn't even happen to other Indian people. You, right. have to be, you have to be up there. And Western people, they usually don't want to have involved right. at all because <laughs> it started with the Beatles. And then the hippies who came there naked and saying, this is how you should do it. You know? <laughs> right. This is how yeah. to be free. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, I mean, this is just so, to me, and, you know, you talk about techniques and what you, you know, these, the self-discipline and these, um, these things that you taught yourself, especially at the age of five, right? What you went through and the, the, just how, like, just seeing all of that and the the trauma of that and the and experiencing that, but then having this um, awareness, but this also this this um, this desire to get back to that state of I me being I am right, and in the the every the peripheral right, everything that's around you that's causing the distraction, and having the the knowledge or even the understanding to do that at age five, because I'm thinking about my experience and. Um, I was probably in my mid thirties when I got to that point where I realized I didn't have to live this way anymore. Right. I didn't have to live this suffering, self-suffering. I call it like self-terrorizing, right. It was terrorizing myself with my thoughts and terrorizing and depriving. Right. Yes. And when I changed my life, it was, um, about five years ago. Now I was at a point where I was completely, I was at. Well, you know, you often hear people say that, you know, it's uh, hitting rock bottom or having some sort of, there's some catalyst that gets you to want to make this change, right? And for me, I was living a life that was just not me. It was not for me. I was, you know, in a job I didn't like. I was in a relationship that was going nowhere, you know, all of these things, and I'd had enough. And when I decided to take my own power back and take my control of my mind, you know, I would drive to work. Um, Back then, I was in a job where I went to an office and I would drive to work every day and it would like, it would start this argument in my mind. I was arguing with myself about, um, can I have this life that I want? Right. Can I change my life? Like, do I do these things that I'm terrorizing myself with? Um, can I make this stop because I was sick of the pain? Mm -hmm. You know, I was, I was so sick of the pain. And so, um, talking about that, about making a lifelong commitment to that and, having that self-discipline again i keep saying at the age of five which is just amazing to me because i I knew what it took for me to and it's it's not a for me at least and not everybody's experience would be the same but it's it's very um the hardest obstacle i had was myself (laughs) in this you know because i wanted to fight myself on it or i wanted to almost 
um, not allow myself to have it, like you mentioned, you know, and yeah. I, I guess I don't know, is that is that a normal thing for people? Is that why we don't do these things? Well, Sloan, you're saying so many things that I wanted to respond <laughs> to. <laughs> um, so to your last point, um, you are your best friend and your worst enemy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And your best friend is when you listen to yourself, when you're in touch with yourself, when you really value yourself sufficiently to start paying attention to yourself. Do you understand? The opposite is giving everything of you, all of your attention, all of your mind, and even your action to the demands and distractions that take you away from your own life. Yeah. So you talk about catalyst. to me, what I discovered, you could say, well, okay, that was a real great privilege to grow up with death. And, but, so I learned to see death as a really valued friend, yeah. a real teacher, because you know why? Most of us respond only to crisis. Right. With change. Which and is exactly ultimate, my story, yes. Mm-hmm. The ultimate crisis is the knowledge that we're all going to get taken by death. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I feel so privileged to have this very, death is like my, is my friend, my best friend, that I, I look forward and have been with throughout my life, but has made my life so much more alive and joyous and luminous, you know? Yes, that's so, so fascinating to me because... Yeah. That's in your book. Your book is called A Dialogue with Death, The Teacher of Life. And so, and again, I have so many questions and so many, I think we could talk for hours about this. Let me just tell you. So you mentioned with that a catalyst, right? Yeah. Before when you talk. Um, So I did those practices after five and a half years, that first experience. And when I was about seven, all of a sudden, in a quiet evening, after having done all these practices for at least a year and a half or so, all of a sudden, the luminosity just went through me again. It, it was just totally just luminosity. What and do you mean by luminosity? Everything was light. Everything was knowing. And the kind of knowing that comforts you. This is why I am. Ah. Uh. Because that a fundamental question comes up, why am I alive? To me, right. well, why am I still alive? Right. <laughs> you know? Right. No, I, yeah. yes, that question I've asked often, honestly, recently after what we experienced in 2020. And uh, we were talking about this briefly before the show about, um, you know, seeking answers and also, do I still believe the things that I used to believe? You know, the, the, these yeah. principles that I held true about, myself and my beliefs and um how i my thoughts create my reality and in my struggle with that um how do i but you know what i say to that don't believe no yeah no for real experience yeah and then you can be in reality there is no your reality there's no my reality because if reality were dependent upon us it would be opinions it would be belief systems. It would be likes and dislikes, not a reality that is a fundamental foundation of all that is. Reality is what is. Reality is what is, irrespective of likes or dislikes, opinions, prejudices, or whatever. So that is also really interesting. So reality is what is, but then shaped by our perception then, how we view it? No, no. Reality is what it is. Now, the way we can perceive it can be either real or false, or degrees in between. It can be, often be discolored by our likes and dislikes, right. or our prejudices, our yes. opinions. But when we live that, then we don't live what is. And then it's like we're slogging around in the dark murkiness and living by illusions, living by falsity. 
that yeah. does not satisfy. Right. After all my travels through all, the, all those years, on foot, living with these people, you know, all over the world, well, many parts of the world, I've come back here and see, I, I've always read people's uh, energy, right? right. Walking on the street and so on. And I've been in some of the nations where, you know, uh, just some lentils and rice and a piece of flat bread is what you get all day. And you're lucky if you get that. So they're impoverished. They don't even have refrigerators and so on in many part of, parts of the world. And they work like 12 hours a day and are happy if, to have a handful of rice at the end of the day. So we come back here where people are enormously privileged, even the so-called poor people here. Right. I know it's privileged, but you walk through the streets, what do you see? Joy, openness, and so on, that I see in those countries? No. Yeah. Depression, anger, closeness, separation, isolation. Yeah. Yes. And all of those things are forms of suffering. I totally agree with that. Um, and again, for me, I go back to my my own uh, participation in that. And, and when I changed my life, I decided not to participate in that suffering anymore. And I, I wanted to change. And then, um, but then I go back, you know, and then I, and then I felt like I got comfortable, you know, I got comfortable and I, I let some old beliefs slide back in. We can do that. We mm -hmm. can fool ourselves being comfortable in, uh, uh, a pile of murk, a hole of murk that eventually will suck us in. Like what you hear so far? Take what you've learned and invest in yourself with the Create What You Speak Academy. Visit createwhatyouspeak.com to learn more. Now back to the show. One of your themes is freedom, isn't it? Yes, it is. What mm -hmm. the main thing about freedom that you're interested in? To, well, I talk a lot about on the show again about living free in what feels like an unfree world. And to okay. me, it, so the unfree world, the, so the, okay, the world is real and unreal according to what we do with it, right? But so there is the real world, there's the reality, but we're unfree because of what we insist on doing with it. We insist on living in opposition to what is so. Right. Even in opposition to what we are. Yes, yes. You, I, you yes, ask I your neighbor and say, look, really now, look him in the eye, really now, who are you? Mm -hmm. You know what the response you usually get is, are you okay? What's the matter with you? <laughs> what kind of question is that? What do you mean, who am I? Yeah. I asked that in front of, I did a talk to about 500 uh, business executives. I asked them to look, turn to their neighbor and describe the identity of their typical client. And the hall was filled with noise. Everybody talked. Mm -hmm. Then we put an end to that. And then I said, okay, now turn to the other neighbor and describe your personal identity. Do you know what the sound was in the hall? Silence. The sound of silence. Yeah. yeah. Didn't know. So I said, how can you aim to be successful when you, when you don't even know the foundation of everything that you have in relationship to your work and your clients when you're not in touch with that foundation? Right. So it has to be, it has to be superficial. How can that be successful? And even though people think sometimes they're successful because they're millionaires, deep down, they're suffering if they haven't taken care of that fundamental. Right. And, and you talk about... If, they're, if they're successful as a millionaire, while having taken care of the relationship with themselves and know who they are and then function as who they are in being a millionaire, then they're really successful. Right. But they're also very aware. And you talk about superficial, and that was for me one of the things over the past year and a half that that 
veil came down for me in a lot of ways, you know, and a lot of people I talked to as well, that these things that I used to think I had had to have, or these things that I used to think I, sh I needed to do, you know, all that fell away. And, and a lot of this stuff is, um, can be hard to face, you know, it can be hard to, especially I think in the way we faced it very abruptly and sharp and very much you're forced to face, well, you're not forced, nobody's forced to do anything. But if, if you want to, you know, change, if you want to um, be able to understand yourself and in some of the things that we're talking about, move out of this self-suffering, I'll just summarize it as that. Um, and then we start seeking answers, right? We're in this place of um, these things have happened now and now I'm seeking answers. And well, I can tell you about that because you can seek answers, but first of all, where do you seek answers? Very good question. It, and that's almost what I always felt like I'm always seeking, right? I have this antenna on, like trying to seek. While you're seeking, you have to be aware that there are two things going on. There's the sincere drive within to come to come in touch with your real being to be fulfilled. That is common to every form of being. Right. Okay? But we, most people, have lived in opposition to that. All of their thinking, feeling, emotions, and so on, are geared towards that way of life and towards that suffering, okay? The consequent suffering. And so they will hold on to that. They will stay attached to that. And even though they are seeking and might even find real answers, they will often deny the real answers that they have experienced to be true in order to stay with the familiar suffering. Yes. yes. I've even had it at a retreat here, a, a, a woman who said, you know, I'm, I'm a nurse in a hospital. I see a lot of suffering. I do a lot of suffering. But she, she says, everything that I learned here today is true. I know it to be true. Mm -hmm. And it would relieve my suffering. And you know what? I'm not going to do it because I'm used to suffering. I'm good at it. Oh, my gosh. The <laughs> and, suffering is familiar and comfortable, like you said. Yeah, but it's not comfortable. Well, right. It's an illusion. You yeah. know, it's like, yeah. it's like a Kafka-esque attachment to being picked apart by the suffering into little chunks of nothingness, you know? Yes. Yes, I, I, I very well. I know it very well. And, and, you know, that was another reason why I even started this podcast was to be able to talk about these things, provide different uh, perspectives and offer solutions. And I think what you said about, you know, because that, that, the words matter, right? The, the choice of words, we matter. Like we talked about earlier, I am. Whatever comes after I am is is very important. So if you're, you're constantly saying negative things after the I am, that's, that's the yeah, energy to take yeah. on. So... You, you touched upon, okay, what do we do, right? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't happen by itself. It doesn't happen by you singing in a room and hoping and thinking and so on and so on. Right. Not even by reading a lot of books, you know. It happens by get okay, what do you do if you really, what, to become a brain surgeon, you don't just pick up a sharp knife and say, I'm going to practice and I'll become a brain surgeon. No. <laughs> You go to the top authorities and become a student, right? And you're shown the step-by-step -step moves to make to successfully do your actions, right? So what we're talking about is becoming true to yourself and overcoming that destructive, destructive uh, attachment to suffering. It takes a lot of special knowledge and that knowledge only comes from direct experience right well even in my my dialogue with death i'm at the very beginning i say to the student to the reader read this not just like you read a regular book and and read on with your mind but get yourself in the state of focus that we were talking about right before. at the beginning and every chapter i proceed by establishing that focus with them again mm -hmm. so that they stay in that as an experience. And when they get through, if they've really done it that way, the lights turn on. Right. You become free. You can become empowered. 
and then you know that you have the joy and the comfort and security that you've always been yearning for. Mm -hmm. You know you have it and you will live it. What I love about the book, um, what you say about it also is that um, you wrote it to offer the highest experiences of the being that you are and to help you realize answers to the most pressing and fascinating questions of human life. So, which, you know, we talked about oh, in that seeking mode and um, feeling, um, at least for me, that's been my experience. But then you also go on to say, this book is not for the ordinary person and everyone should read it for it challenges even those who think little of themselves to rise up to the level of perception that frees them from ignorance and the consequence of suffering. That's good, isn't it? Yes. (laughs) You know, the first time when I read that, it actually gave me chills because it's, it's, um, you know, like we talked about at the beginning, what we're saying isn't hard. It's not unattainable. It's, it's none of these things that maybe people might be feeling listening to us talk or maybe have been told before or maybe have even experienced when they tried something that somebody told them would work, but yeah. didn't work. Um, Sloan, you're saying a very important thing there, that it is attainable because it's all about you. Right. you, And there's something in you that reverberates to even what we're talking about now. Right. If you're present, something in you will, will say yes, yes. And so tell us a little bit more about the book. As, as you mentioned, it, it progressively takes the reader through it. It's, it's called oh, A Dialogue gosh. with Death, and, and death has been a, a great friend and teacher for you, yeah. for me. <laughs> Not so much. I think it's been a, a, something I've feared, and um, especially feared of those around me. Um, well, okay. You said a very important word, progressively. The book works progressively. So it's, it's, it's presented as a story, okay? There's a young man who watches his father give sacrifice, uh, but he sees that he sacrifices barren cows and stuff from home that he doesn't want anymore. And so, and he sees the insincerity of that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. The, the father does it not knowing that he's acting insincerely, but the son who as a teenager is highly evolved says to his father, you know, Papa, what you're doing is not real. And the father, oh, go away, you know. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back a second time, tells him, Father, what you're doing is not right. Get away. And the third time, the father is getting really impatient. This is like, go to hell. Except he says, go to death. And the son says, well, the word of my father needs to be honored. So he, in order to save his father, he sincerely goes to the abode, to the house of death. And so when he gets there, unfortunately, death is not home. He's out on an errand. So (laughs) his wives make him welcome to stay and wait. uh, And then he waits for three days. And then death comes and he says, oh my, I have an honored guest in my house. And I have not done the things that I expected to honor a guest, like to give him food and drink and wash his feet from traveling and so on. So he says to the young man, I owe you three big boons, three gifts. You can ask of me anything that you want, which is sort of like the story of the genie coming right. out of the bottle right. and yes. the wishes, right? So this young man being very smart, he asked for the most important things that could be. And then in the process, death constantly, so this is verbal, right? So in the process, the, the young man asks the first boon and then death challenges him because he has to make sure that the young man, man is ready to receive this luminous wisdom Mm-hmm. Uh, because if he's not ready, it's going to be harmful to him. Right. So he engages him in, in a dialogue. Death engages the boy in a dialogue by which the boy can earn that reward. Mm-hmm. So that's the book, and it goes from a first step where the young man wants to have his father taken care of, which then stands 
you need to interpret it. It stands for familial things to be taken care of. His relationship, not only with his father, but also with his family, but also with his community, but also with his society mm-hmm. and with humanity. All of that he wants to have taken care of as a first step so that he relates successfully and truly with all of those levels of relationship. And then he goes into higher things, more and more sophisticated, more and more subtle, and more and more challenged by death, who eventually offers him, look, don't ask me that question. Instead, I'm going to give you great lands for you to rule over. And then later on, he promises, you can, your whole family, you will have many sons and, and, and daughters, and they will all live over including you over a hundred years, uh, with all of their, their, um, capabilities present. And so on and on, death tries to bribe him. And the young man says, no, I want what's most important. Mm-hmm. And that's what I said in my life is like, I'm going, we were deprived. We were starving for years and we had a lot of suffering behind us. And I, I always said to myself, that's okay. I, I'm going to go what is the very highest. That's what I'm going to go for. I'm not going to go for momentary thrills. You know, that's, that's not going to be my occupation. So, I mean, I did go on and lead a so-called normal life, but always with that going on inside of me. Right. And then even when I, I came to this country, I couldn't speak English. So I had to overcome all of that. And then, I eventually became, like you mentioned, a very successful architect, which I invested a lot in going to school and all that. And, but all the time that was in my, in my mind. Then when I had really come after all of that investment to success in architecture, I said to myself, there was, there was a building I had, I designed in Manhattan, which is very rare for a young architect. And Mayor, then Mayor Lindsay had my drawings on television and said, this is going to be a jewel of, uh, of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, that's not what my life is for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as the moment I had that recognition, I decided to live my life now purely focused on what my life is for. Now, I'm not saying that you all need to do that, leave everything right. behind. Right. No, you can do it while you're still focused on on the quest to be real and in touch with yourself. You yeah. can do it while you're in touch with yourself and do it so much better and more successful. But that's when I started to, that's when I took off for four years to wander around the world to share the knowledge I had developed and compare to what other cultures develop and see the similarity, the, the current of reality that's there for all of us, no matter what language, what culture, what age we are. Yeah. Yeah. And, and hearing you talk about that with, you know what, it's like, I would, I think of it as it's your operating system, right? If we think about a computer, you know, the, the system that's running that, that, that state of being that you chose to be in and, and to um, use, you know, is your decided for yourself again, decided, you know, you were intentional doing these things and, and having it be, that's what's running in the background instead of some of the things, you know, that we've mentioned, like the suffering and the, um, the other, the terrorizing ourselves with our thoughts, you know, in, in things. Um, this is, and again, this, this topic of, this is such a big topic and, and I'll link in the show notes to your book and, um, as also as well, where everybody can find out more about you. But, um, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you a couple more questions. Um, you know, we talked about again, about living free in what feels like in an unfree world and in, in this inner work, as we talked about, um, it is attainable. I want everybody listening to know that this is attainable. This, this hopefully is maybe a catalyst or gets somebody, um, who is slightly interested in this, gives them, um, a starting point, a place to start with, to, to explore this. But in your experience over the years and in, you know, your personal experience as well, for people who've been willing to really step up and do this inner work. Um, 
to gain a better understanding of themselves. What, what have you seen or what have you, um, you know, what, what, Sometimes I, I know in my own life, it, it's, it, it feels scary to maybe go a different way than we're feeling, you know, than we're used to doing. So what have you seen in your experience when people are willing to do this, this type of work? Well, uh, could I just read you something that's at the very uh, ending of the book? Sure. Yes, please do. It's, the, it's called, that chapter is called The End Beginning. Mm-hmm. You are deeply and truly blessed. Be aware of that. You are blessed for the light that radiates within you and is your very essence, the source of you, that which you are. You have spent long time evolving to this point of being a human being. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, most of us believe in, in evolution and evolution takes place from a lower level of being to a higher level of being. And as a human being, with all of the instruments we have, our mind, feelings, emotion, and so on, we are capable of the very highest experience and the highest perception. We've evolved to that, you know, and in which you can fulfill and realize the full potential of the being that you are and no longer dwell in unconsciousness. Unconsciousness is the non-experience of the being that you are. Yeah, say that again. The unconsciousness Unconsciousness is the the non-experience of the being that you are. Wherein comes isolation. You know what the greatest punishment is for people in jail? Isolation. They yeah. get thrown into isolation. Yeah. We most people here live in isolation. That's why they are so so suffering with pain and loneliness. Yeah. And yes. Oh yeah. Displacement. I don't even belong here. I don't know what I'm doing here. And so yes. on. You know. But you're so blessed. You don't have to have that in this lifetime. You have in your grasp the opportunity to never die to your own perception of being you, to dwell consciously in the experience of yourself continuously. Allow yourself to savor joyously and blissfully the gift of light, the light that dwells within you, the light of consciousness, of knowing who you are, by which you have the power to share this luminosity and radiate into the apparent darkness and warm the hearts of fellow beings. That is a task that we hear about many, many times nowadays, is to give to others, to give to the interconnected wholeness of us. We have that opportunity, we have that privilege, and that living that is our liberation and mm-hmm. our continuous joy. Such an amazing story you have. Uh, this topic, again, is just fascinating to me. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that you came to the show this week. Um, my guest this week has been Erhard Vogel, author of A Dialogue with Death, The Teacher of Life. And as we wrap up today, So thinking about all the things that we've talked about today, what is one piece of advice you would give the listeners to get them started on their path of self-discovery? I mentioned it already before. (laughs) Value yourself sufficiently to become attentive to yourself, to care for yourself, to be with yourself and become an expert at being you. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Not an expert at plumbing or expert at brain surgery or expert at being housemaker or something, an expert at being you. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that's what I teach, the step-by-step experiences that make that attainable to anybody yes. who sincerely wants to value themselves sufficiently. You got to put in the work. You got to put in the attention, but that's not work. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's worth it, right? It's, I mean, it's worth, this is, you know, we talk about again, the questions and, uh, and. This is what everything about every one of us is constantly yearning for and driving towards. Right. And the only reason we haven't attained it yet is because we've stepped into the way of it over and over again, put our energies into that, into that, that keeps us deprived and empty and frustrated. Yeah. And in that state of suffering, um, well, we could go on for hours, I'm sure. <laughs> but Erhard, thank you so much for being with us this week. Um, can you tell the listeners how they can find out a little bit more about you? And also, you have an upcoming event in November. I would love for you to share with the listeners. Okay, well, I guess they can get, get in contact with us on the internet, uh, Facebook, uh, Google. Uh, they can call the, Med- the Nataraja Meditation and Yoga Center, get direct contact, get good help. You know, and on November 1st, we have um, an unusual event in as much as we let uh, visitors, guests come to our concluding class of a meditation series. Mm-hmm. Meditation, again, is just being with yourself, focused and real. To, so a concluding class that celebrates their graduation from that segment. And I will talk to people on on a like introductory level mm-hmm. so that uh, they know what we're talking about and can experience how how it works amazing i uh will link to all that in the show notes um i'll have all the the information in there so please be sure and check that out um again erhard um i feel like my life is uh changed in a positive way from our conversation today some of the the things we talked about which again was was one of my intentions to um clarify some things with myself and and you really helped me do that so thank you so much for being here thank you sloan freeman one piece of advice i have for you yes read the book I, I, it's on my list. It's because on my list. <laughs> the questions you ask are terrific. They're, you're right on the track. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that feedback too. <laughs> and, okay, and thank you, yes. And thank you all for listening this week on the Create What You Speak podcast. Make sure to visit SloanFremont.com where you, where you can subscribe to the show and your favorite podcast player so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, I'd appreciate a positive rating on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player. And one last thing, remember to check out the Create What You Speak Academy at createwhatyouspeak.com. Thanks for listening this week and be sure to tune in next week where I will continue to give you real life solutions to help you live free in an unfree world. 